Hello, you're listening to On Israel, Almonitor's podcast from Tel Aviv. I'm Ben Kaspit. Since its founding in 2008, the alternative American Jewish J Street lobby has been overshadowed by the far more powerful and prominent APAC pro-Israel lobby. But with the return of the Democrats to Washington, J Street has become highly relevant both to relations between Israel and the United States and to bridging the divide between progressive U.S. Judaism and Israel's increasingly right-wing conservative Judaism. As this podcast is being recorded, President Joe Biden has not yet called Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Israel's former UN ambassador, Danny Danone, who in the past labeled J Street a pro-Palestinian organization, stirred up a Twitter storm last week when he called on Biden to stop boycotting Netanyahu, the leader of the most important U.S. ally in the world. Danone obviously went too far, but his tweet reflects the tensions, muted for now, between Washington and Jerusalem, between Orthodox Judaism and Reform and Conservative Judaism, between the government of Israel and the liberal Jewish establishment in the U.S. and more. These tensions, along with the substantive disagreement between Israel and the U.S. over Iran, and talk of reviving the two-state option to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, signal difficult times. The liberal Jewish lobby that will soon mark its bar mitzvah could serve a key role in mediating between the sides. Our guest today was recently appointed the executive director of J Street Israel, Nadav Tamir is a brilliant Israeli diplomat who served as advisor to three foreign ministers and to the late President Shimon Peres. Tamir was a senior diplomat at the Israeli embassy in Washington and Israeli consul general in the New England states. While in that post, he generated controversy with a document forecasting the deterioration in Israel's relationship with the Obama administration, which set off a political storm in Israel and incurred the anger of Prime Minister Netanyahu and then Foreign Minister Lieberman. Nonetheless, Tamir forecast proved correct in foreseeing the deep crisis between Washington and Jerusalem on these times. These days, Tamir holds a senior position at the Peres Center for Peace and Innovation and continues to propound his belief that the two-state solution is the only viable solution to the conflict with the Palestinians. Tamir will be here with us right after this short commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit and On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. 
Now I'm happy to say hello to uh, the executive director of J Street Israel, uh, Ambassador Nadav Tamir. Shalom, Nadav. Shalom, Ben. It's great to be in your program. Thank you for uh, uh, being with us here in On Israel. And uh, I, we're going to, to speak a lot about uh, Israeli-American relationship, J Street, liberal Jews, etc. But first, I want to touch a, a different uh, uh, subject. Uh, I'd like to start with an article you wrote recently under the headline, The Time Has Come for Israel to Recognize the Importance of Women's Leadership in the Modern World. You wrote that while Israel presumes to be a global leader in innovation, it, uh, it lags for far behind in the number of women in leadership roles and the understanding of its importance. Although Merav Michaeli was just elected leader of the Labour Party, she is clearly an anomaly How serious is the situation in Israel in this regard, in your opinion? Uh, it's, it's very bad. Um, you know, the, the, if you, when you look around, even parties that try to bring women in, it was always in a supporting role. It was never in the leadership. And in that sense, labor is indeed the, an outlier. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's supposed to be different because Israel is indeed a very innovative society. But still, our politics is very much controlled by men and controlled by many of the flows that we men bring with us, which is Hebrews, which is uh, machoism, which I think was maybe good uh, uh, to run uh, countries or societies in the old days. But in the modern world, it works against us. I think you gave uh, examples that... Uh... Most of the countries uh, run by women in the world was uh, handling the coronavirus crisis better than the other countries. Yes, I think that the corona crisis was a great example because it took a phenomena that we see in the world all over, uh, but very slowly, which is that from a world that the change is linear and human mind can grasp it and can tell you what's the future going to look like, into a more exponential change that nobody can understand. And, and the coronavirus brought it kind of in a very short time. And that allowed us to see that leadership that can cope with the change is leadership that is humble, that can, um, you know, that could uh, learn as they move and not come with all kinds of, um, you know, kind of set agendas, but learn as they go and, and share with the public the fact that they don't have the answers and we all have to learn together. And we saw that in New Zealand, in Taiwan, in Denmark, in Finland. Uh, and it's a great example of, of Germany, of course. Uh, you know, I think Merkel is one of the most impressive leaders in the world for quite some time. So I think we have to learn from those examples. Yes, I share your opinion on this, but I think we are we're still uh, we need a lot of patience until here in Israel we will not be so uh, machoist and uh, understand. Well, although we had a, a woman as the Prime Minister, Mrs. Golda Meir, but a long many years passed uh, since then. So let's let's not now talk about uh, the main issues, and I'll ask you the next intriguing question: What will be harder, in your opinion, to fix? Israel's relations with the Democratic Party, with President Biden and with liberal American Jewry, or the relationship between J Street and the Israeli right, which is the, the majority in Israel? 
Well, I think you cannot disconnect the two because uh, if J Street uh, for the last four years was not connected at all to the administration, uh, uh, now uh, J Street is, is one of the only organizations that actually is very much in line with the coming administration. So if Israel wants to have uh, good relations with the American administration, I think good relations with J Street are part of it. But JCT also represents the big majority of, of Jews who are more liberal and progressive in their views. And uh, it's about time that Israel will understand that in order to be the homeland of the Jewish people, we have to be able to connect with the big majority of the most important Jewish diaspora in North America. Do you think, uh, uh, you know what I'll ask you this, there is no denying that President Obama's uh, conciliatory policies did not benefit the Middle East. His efforts to forge peace between Israel and the Palestinians failed. The nuclear agreement with Iran that uh, championed uh, drew a harsh Israeli criticism uh, and the US eventually pulled out of it. Do you think the Biden administration will follow Obama's policy or should we expect to see new Democrats correcting Obama's course? Well, I beg to differ on some of your assumptions. I, I, don't, I think history will judge Obama very differently. Um, in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, he actually did not invest much. He actually, you know, in, in the first term when uh, uh, Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State, he almost did nothing. And later on, it was more uh, John Kerry who said, you know, I can take it, I can do it. I know how to handle Netanyahu. Obama was very skeptic that he could do something, even though, of course, he, he would love to help Israel get to this two-state solution. In terms of Iran, I think that the um, agreement, even though not perfect and definitely need improvement, was the the best alternative he had at the time. Now, I think that Biden will, will uh, continue the same strategy in terms of the two-state solution, in terms of using diplomacy in order to prevent Iran from achieving a nuclear weapon. But I think he will learn from the mistakes. After all, he was there for the eight years of Obama. He was there and was very involved with foreign policy. And I think he will learn some of the, from some of the mistakes that Obama did. Uh, on top of that, he has a very different character than Obama. Uh, he is much more of, uh, you know, the, the connection, the human connection is much, much better. And, you know, we Israelis, we need someone to embrace us. We need someone to tell us how much they love us. That was not the style of Obama. Obama was much more of an intellectual. And Biden is much more of a people's um, uh, kind of leader. Um, and he also knows that to raise expectations in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is dangerous, so he will be much more careful. But I think on the big strategy, he is uh, continuing the Obama uh, philosophy. So do you agree? I think one of my previous guests, maybe Danny Dayan, uh, uh, defined uh, Biden, President Biden, as more Clintonian than Obamian. Do you agree with this? In terms of his character, yes, is, you know, just like Clinton. Clinton, when you was in the room with him, and I was lucky to be in a room with him many times, not just because of me, because of working with Shimon Peres, and sometimes as Consul General, he, you know, he's so connecting, so empathetic, you know, people just fall in love with him. And Biden has the same kind of qualities. Uh, but 
the difference between them is that Clinton had no experience whatsoever in foreign policy. Um, he was a governor. He had nothing to do with foreign policy, while Biden is maybe the most experienced president in foreign policy after Bush the first, who was the head of the CIA and ambassador in China. Uh, Biden, for many years, was running the Foreign Affairs Committee in the Senate. For eight years, he was um, vice president of Obama and was very involved in foreign policy. He knew all the world leaders by name. Um, and he, according to the nominations that we saw uh, so far, is bringing professionals to, um, to handle foreign policy. So I think he will be much more professional than Clinton in, in, in foreign policy. You know, what you think is exactly what makes people in Jerusalem very worried because uh, the, the, the Obama administration still appears to have a strong foreign policy hold in Washington as reflected in a series of Biden administration appointments. Is that a good or a bad sign for Israel? Well, I know many of the people that were nominated and uh, I think they're great uh, professionals and also people who care uh, very much about Israel, even though they have very different opinions than, you know, than the current leadership in Israel. Uh, some of them are actually more uh, centrist. Uh, I think Blinken uh, is definitely not part of the progressive side, uh, but some others are more on the progressive side, but I can tell you that uh, all of them are professionals. Uh, I think that uh, the fact that for the first time there is a, an American Arab who deals with the, with the Palestinian issues is a good thing. Um, uh, and, and in general, I think there is a very good team there. And Israel has nothing to be worried unless we think that the best thing for Israel is to go to a bi-state bi solution, which is not a solution, but actually an end of Zionism. But if, if we want to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, if we want to stop Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons, we have the best people uh, in, in, you know, in the team. Uh, in the Biden administration. Very strange, uh, Nadav Tamir, because, you know, very few Israelis will say that it's a good uh, thing that an American Arab deals with the Palestinian issue in the new American administration. Maybe this is what uh, makes many Israelis suspicious towards J Street, as maybe not so pro-Israel as a, a pro-Israeli lobby should be. Well, um, you know, I I was a diplomat all my life, and I know that the and only way. Thank you, and I know that the only way to achieve progress is to be able to see things through a win-win formula rather than a zero sum. And I think that uh, one of the reasons why America failed to uh, help Israel achieve a solution with the Palestinians was uh, the fact that they were not able to really emphasize with the Palestinian issue. Now I'm not talking about Hamas, I'm talking about the Palestinians who believe in two-state solution and who want to solve it uh, for their own reasons as well. So I actually believe that to have um, you know, people who know both sides who could speak Arabic is helpful. And I believe that we have more, should have more people like that in the Israeli administration as well. Uh, we will wait and see, as, uh, as we are saying. Uh, uh, what should, in your opinion, Netanyahu make of the fact that Biden has still not called him after 
almost four weeks, I think it's, all, it's almost a month now in office. As I recall, Obama called uh, Netanyahu four days after his uh, inauguration, and Trump, I guess, three days. What is happening here? Well, I think that, uh, um, you know, Biden is, uh, uh, he wants to kind of uh, let us know uh, that it wasn't a good idea to take uh, America for granted. And we have to remember who is the superpower here, which is not a bad lesson for us. Um, he's, um, he will call us and he will be a very pro-Israeli uh, president, I have no doubt, and his record shows it clearly. But I think that the fact that Israelis think that they could run Washington and they could tell America uh, what to do with Iran and what to do with China is over. Um, and I, I believe that it's good for Israel that we will have a leader that uh, um, is, is well respected and is taking America to be the head of the free world and a superpower rather than the third um, world country, which Trump did in the last four years. So I think maybe, you know, some people would hope for a warmer relations with Netanyahu. Uh, but, I, uh, but first, Netanyahu will have to prove if he is still the prime minister here after the next elections. And you know about that better than me. Uh, what are his chances? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that uh, the lesson is, uh, uh, you know, remember who you are, remember the size, and remember uh, that as much as we're pro-Israel, uh, we, we run the show here and not you. And I think it's a very humbling uh, lesson for all Israelis. So you don't think it's a, you know, I, I hear all the American speakers telling uh, saying uh, things about his agenda and he's, he's starting in the most serious and, uh, and, and important issues, uh, the, the immediate crisis and the Middle East is not there. You think it's, yes, it's, it's a lesson that we're we're learning now, and I know you know what I think. I remember the 2015 trip of Netanyahu to the Congress uh, to to speak behind the back of President Obama, and and I recall now that Biden was the head of the Senate as a vice president, and it was a huge humiliation to the to the Obama administration, including Biden. And I now also recall the 2010 trip of Biden to Jerusalem. Uh, while uh, in the middle of the, the event, there was an announcement about building a new 1,600 units in Eastern Jerusalem. So maybe Biden is starting over, all over again. Uh, he's doing a restart and, and maybe he's, tell, he's teaching Netanyahu the lesson in advance. First of all, it is true that uh, the Biden administration has some priorities uh, that are not exactly us. You know, he has to deal with, um, you know, with amazing domestic issues, but also in terms of foreign policy, you know, for, for quite some time, it's not just Biden. Uh, America understands that the Middle East should not be the major interest of their foreign policy because they don't rely on Middle East energy anymore. And all their interventions in the Middle East were a catastrophe, whether it's going all the way in Iraq or leading from behind in Libya or doing nothing in Syria. Nothing really worked. So they understand that there are issues where they could make a difference uh, much more than the Middle East. Uh, China, Russia, um, rehabilitating the relations with NATO. Um, climate change, which is a very big priority. And unfortunately, most Israelis uh, don't understand that climate change is so much more dangerous than the coronavirus. But we always see just you know what's in front of us and not 
um, what's the future holds. So it's true. But uh, but it was true for Obama as well, and he did call. But I think that one of the lessons that Biden learned is that uh, some Israeli leaders, when you uh, give them special uh, kind of um, uh, priority, they take it for granted and they come to uh, play against you in your own uh, court. And uh, Biden wants to bring us back to the you know perspective. Who is the superpower here? Maybe start um, again. Learning. I don't think it's bad. It's a bad lesson. He's telling us, uh, "Listen, you are the spoiled uh, child. Start to behave." But let's exactly. move on. And do you do you understand Israel's concern about the possible easing of U.S. sanctions on Iran and a return to the nuclear deal that would enable Iran to become a nuclear threshold state within five to seven years? You know, there is a lot of talks about it. The chief of staff. Uh, General Aviv Kochavi uh, spoke about it two weeks ago, and it was uh, it was not a good sign uh, talking about the future relationship between the the Biden and, uh, and Netanyahu uh, administrations. What do you think about this issue? Well, first of all, um, I think that uh, there is no way to change Iran's um, uh, policy without diplomacy. Uh, I think that also, uh, if you look at the facts, if you look at the reports of the uh, of the Organization of Atomic Energy, the International Organization of America of Atomic Energy, you see that since Trump withdrew from the JCPOA, Iran achieved um, around 12 times more enriched nuclear uranium, and many more um, centrifuges are being restored, and another site is being handled. So, the, you know, the fact that the Iranians suffered because of the Trump uh, sanctions did not cause them to change course. You have to remember that the people that suffer are the people on the streets. The, the revolutionary guards are not suffering because they know how to get to the, to the resources. And in order to change uh, course, we need diplomacy. In order to um, get to diplomacy, we first need to go back to the situation before and then to create a big effort, international effort, to improve um, to improve the deal because the deal was not perfect, and Obama people knew that it's not perfect. And definitely now that some years went by and the sunset uh, provisions are much closer, it has to be improved. But you cannot improve it without diplomacy. Uh, the idea is that you could either strike Iran by force or that uh, just unilateral sanctions will change course are just a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. And that's why, you know, if we look at reality, uh, we need to get back to diplomacy. And uh, why did uh, the, the chief of staff, Aviv Kochavi, said what he said? I don't know. I have a lot of respect to him. I think he's a brilliant guy and also one of the alumni of the great Wexner program that I'm very proud to be in. Um, but I think that there were some maybe other reasons why he spoke this way, because from my knowledge, which is very based on facts, most of the security people in Israel at the time thought that even though the uh, agreement is not perfect, it's the best alternative at the moment. Uh, yes, and I think I agree with you on this. Uh, uh, what is J Street's position on the Trump administration's move of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, its recognition of Israeli sovereignty over the Golan, and legitimization of uh, settlements. So first of all, in terms of Jerusalem, they're not going to um, 
to, uh, you know, to uh, move the embassy back to Tel Aviv. I think they realize that, uh, you know, that treating uh, Jerusalem as if it's not uh, uh, the capital of Israel was anachronistic and it was the right move. But they will send a clear message that, uh, that the embassy uh, to Israel is not going to handle the Palestinians and give clear messages that eventually they want to see uh, an, another American embassy in Jerusalem um, for, for the Palestinian capital. It's not going to happen uh, right away, but I think that they will try to create another uh, arm, uh, maybe renew the consulate uh, to deal with the Palestinians. In terms of the Golan Heights, you know, they understand that uh, in the situation right now in Syria, it's not um, relevant well, to what, speak whatever, about. Uh, Secretary Blinken just said that uh, Israel needs the Golan Heights to its security, and, uh, but but not speak about the, the far future. The legal issues are problematic because uh, Biden wants to go back to a rule-based international policy where United States could play a role. We have to remember they are a global power. They have to deal with Crimea when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. They have to deal with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Taiwan, with other issues where just um, legitimizing, um, um, you know, uh, annexation is problematic. But, you know, they don't want to deal with it right now because right now the Syrian issue is not uh, relevant and not actual. In terms of the, of the facts on the ground in the West Bank, I think that once they get organized, we'll, we'll start to see them much more tough with us because um, it's clear that uh, the Trump administration, even when they became a lame duck administration, after they lost the elections and the Netanyahu government were trying to create facts on the ground that uh, the Biden administration don't like at all, whether it's in Givata Matos or in E1 or all kind of uh, legitimizing uh, illegal settlements. And uh, as soon as they will be organized, we will see uh, a very tough position from them against the, those things that will make it much harder to get a two-state solution once they will be, um, they will be able to, uh, to go back to negotiations. Okay. Uh, how do you rate the chances of bridging the growing gaps between the majority of American Jews who are liberal and progressive and the many right-wing conservative Israelis? Well, I think that uh, what's happening in Israel, and again, this is more your expertise than mine, but when I'm looking at the service, the deep service, you see that there is a, mitch, a mismatch in Israel between what people think about the issues and how they vote. Most Israelis are for the two-state solution. More, most Israelis are for gay rights. Most Israelis are much more open to many of the things that are not really um, manifested in the politics of Israel. Uh, because for, for quite some time, there is no um, real leadership on the left. And Netanyahu, which I think is, is, is a, a big danger in terms of, of as a statesman, but he's probably one of the brilliant politicians in the world. And he was able to, um, to control the agenda. But I believe that Israelis are much more progressive in their views than, than what you see in the Knesset. Uh, but Israel has to work hard to go back to bipartisanship, to go back to uh, the relation with progressive Israel, uh, Jews who, who, you know, one of the things that most Israelis don't understand, for example, is why American Jews care so much 
about the rights of, of non-Jews in Israel, the Arabs, the Jews, and others, because they know how it is to be a minority, and they expect uh, their state, the state of the Jewish people, to be a model of how you deal with, with minorities. And most Israelis forgot that we were always minorities in so many years, and now we treat minorities as if, you know, as, as if they don't count. And the way we treat um, reform and conservative Jews as if they're second-class Jews, while we expect them to do lobbying for us and give us charity, it, you know, it has to be changed. And it has to, um, it, you know, and we have to work both in terms of education. For example, I believe in reverse birthright. I believe that every uh, student in Israel or, or maybe high school student in Israel have to visit some of those communities and to live among them for a week or two, because as much as it's important to go to Poland to see the Nazi camps, to see where uh, Jews died, they have to see where Jews live and to understand that uh, the concept oh. of people who, that they are extended family. Just uh, and, and we have to do a very serious change in order to connect back to the progressive Jews. You just have to find someone to finance uh, this uh, reversed... Uh, a birthright, but it's a brilliant idea. But you know, Nadav, I think you touched now the very core of the differences and the huge uh, divide or gap between Israeli, born Israeli, and, and the American Jew, because the Israelis here, the, the, the Sabras like myself, they don't think anymore like a minority. They forgot the lessons of the diaspora, of the Gola. They think like, uh, you know, a, a people with sovereignty on its land. So. They don't feel what you just described, that, that you know, we are 2,500 years, we, we enjoy living in other people's lands. So this is, I think this is the, the existential gap between us. You know, the, the ironic thing that on, one, on some things, we're still with the shtetl mentality. For example, all the feeling that we are surrounded by enemies, that everybody hates us, and the existential threats is completely unfounded. Israel is, most of the world is not against Israel, against the occupation maybe, against settlements, but not against Israel. I see it, you know, when I speak to Chinese, when, even when I speak to Europeans, they love and admire Israel. They just have issues with the occupation. So we, we still live in a shtetl mentality as if we are still uh, out there uh, you know, in either uh, in small villages in Eastern Europe or in Arab countries on the one hand. And on the other hand, we feel that we are now the kings of this land and we don't have to care about anybody else. So I think, again, it's part of the, um, the poison that we got from our leadership for so long, that they use our fears, the authentic fears of Jews that based on our history in a manipulative way in order to... Uh, put aside those liberal and progressive values that we have to be the model for the world, how to do a country that's based on, on human rights and, and minority rights. Um, so there is a big change that we have to do. And a lot of it, as I feel, you know, people like us, the Wexners or other people who spent some time in the U.S. and understood what those communities are all about and how much tikkun olam is important for them, we have to work hard to educate Israelis um, uh, in order to create this connection, uh, because this is what we meant to be, the homeland of the Jewish people. We can't ignore them. 
I think this in the conversation, uh, Nadav, was not on, on, only interesting, but very important. And I thank you very much for it. And uh, take care. And Todaraba and Shalom. And we will be right back after this short uh, break with some final thoughts. Thank you, Nadav. Thank you, Ben. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for uh, staying with us. Ambassador uh, Nadav Tamir celebrates the new reality in town. Uh, J Street became almost overnight the most relevant Jewish organization, the only game in town, and we are talking about Washington, D.C., and Ambassador Nadav Tamir uh, affirmed us that uh, they are uh, really aware of this uh, new reality, and uh, J Street will be crucial and, and essential in order uh, to, to mend the relationship and, or to heal the wound, the open wound between uh, uh, the White House and the Prime Minister's chambers in Jerusalem. I think Ambassador Nadav Tamir is maybe the first uh, Israeli to admit that there is a problem uh, 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 talking about the, the phone call that uh, never happened yet between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu more than a month after uh, the president came into office. And uh, Nadav Tamir said that uh, uh, maybe Biden, President Biden, wants Netanyahu to understand or to realize that it was not a very good idea to take America for granted. There is one superpower here, and uh, eventually, uh, said Ambassador Tamir, the president will call and will be a very pro-Israel president, as he was all his career, but maybe he's hinting Netanyahu that uh, this game is over, and the days when Israel was uh, handling or managing uh, the whole uh, foreign policy of the United States towards China, towards Russia, towards the Middle East, through uh, the evangelists and, uh, and Ambassador Dermer and uh, Edelson and many others are over. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. It was a very interesting and I think uh, important conversation and J Street will be indeed a, a very crucial pivot in the next four years between Washington and Jerusalem. Uh, see you here next Monday in On Israel. Uh, I am Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care.